0: Good morning, everybody, and happy Mother's Day again to all the moms. One more time, give it up for those amazing women in your life. Happy Mother's Day. Thank
1: you so much. You spoiled me already.
0: Yes, I did, because we work on Sundays, and we have to do it on Saturdays. But uh, we want to welcome you. Of course, we want to welcome our online congregation, our campuses that are watching here in the Austin area, maybe in Italy or Mozambique, and, uh, of course, our nine correctional. Sometimes it's nine. Sometimes it's 12. It depends on the authorities. And so we want to just welcome all of those that are watching from one of those correctional facilities. One more time, Celebration Church, can we just welcome them? Good to see you guys. And to those that are in a correctional facility, I know this is a tough weekend when, when you're away from mom and just maybe some of the drama, some of the things that you've had to walk through and uh, we're praying for you. And we also want to just say we're praying for anyone and everyone that might find this weekend difficult. But well, we know that there's many people that uh, have, have desired and longed to be a mom and have had just that difficulty of, of conceiving. And uh, we're, we're ever mindful of you. We're praying for you. For those that are also maybe dealing with the loss of a mom this year or any other kind of situation that might uh, have happened in, in recent time, we, we're praying for you. And uh, I just think it's also really cool that Mother's Day, in light of the things that are happening in our world, I just thank God that God is the God of life because... If we were taken out, we wouldn't be here. How many are thankful that God is the God of life? He's the God of life. You need to be thankful for that. So today, we, before we get into the word, though, also, I, I got the perfect Mother's Day gift. Sponsor one of our children in Mozambique. Yeah. I need some mamas and some daddies to step up. You just saw. What we're doing in Mozambique is a big deal. It, it's yeah. not a little operation. It's not a little budget. Our staff is just... it's about 100 or so we're being asked by the government to be uh, frankly multiplying schools and our campuses all throughout Mozambique and uh, one of our one of our greatest things that we're able to do is sponsor these children so we're I'm needing 35 that would sponsor $70 145 at $35 a month and it's providing education and clothing and textbooks and meals And it's an opportunity for us to change that region of the world. It's a battle zone in Mozambique. Eight hours north of our campuses are being right now attacked by Bohoran and some of the more radical type of religions in the world. And uh, we need to do something fast. We need to prepare the next generation to carry the gospel and to be prepared. And so it's a great opportunity. You can use the QR code there. How many know what QR stands for? (laughs) I heard this this week at a conference. (laughs) It's really deep. Quick response. QR. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. And so,
1: you're so smart. Also,
0: out in the concourse, we have any information that you would like to learn about what we're doing in Mozambique with our children, with our schools, and our churches, yeah. and uh, a lot of a lot of cool things. So, and happy speaking
1: Mother's of mother, Day. thank you. And speaking of Mother's Day. Um, I I wrote a book called Woman Up. This is not a time to plug that, but it is available. It is a great great book book for your mother or your daughter. Um, But she was called a mother. She called herself a mother of Israel and there is no, I have done every bit of research I can. there is no um, statistics or, or information that she was ever a biological mom. But she took responsibility for the generation yeah. that she was in to bring victory. And she said, I'm going to rise up, whether I'm a biological mom or not. And I'm going to take, take ownership and responsibility for the next generation. And so today... We're talking about, um, you have questions. We've been in a series called I've Been Wondering, and you've been wondering, how do we raise a godly generation in our current culture? And so whether you're a parent here today or not, it's time for all of us to step up and take responsibility for, for the next generation in the world that we're giving them. And um, it's awesome because we have one of our sons, we have two of our Three boys here today, um, Mason flew in from d c so he 's here in the service, and then Connor's going to interview us, but you know for thirty years we 've been in ministry and we 've been talking about parenting and half of that time we were just hoping it worked, you know like we were hoping what we said would turn out right in our kids and um, and we have now three young men that love Jesus, love the house of God, love us which is awesome, mm. and so be gentle with us today, Connor. Well,
2: it would be better if they didn't have a microphone. I've been sitting on that, getting ridiculed my entire life, but we'll save that. It's like kid, bring your kid to work day to day. We, we both matched, not intentionally, but no, we're really excited for, for what we have today. So we're going to start right into it, What some hard-hitting questions. And the first one is, what was your favorite meal that your mother cooked? Oh, man. Ah. Go ahead, Lori.
1: Okay, my my mom is a great cook. She's from New Orleans. You cannot be a woman in New Orleans without being a great cook. But my favorite thing is not a Cajun recipe. It is uh, meatballs and spaghetti. She craved it the whole time she was pregnant with me. So I came out of the womb wanting a bowl of pasta, you know, so. Sounds fantastic. Still do.
0: Mama Sarah was a great cook. Yeah. I guess her signature was either her fettuccine. Or her chicken tetrazzini but she could make a good chicken liver gravy
1: Oh!
0: see how do you know you're not from the south <laughs> you don't like chicken livers i love me some chicken livers we're from mississippi
2: yeah. we got two southern grandmothers so that means lots of salt and butter yeah a lot of not butter. healthy what was the favorite thing that, you're, that you did with your mom?
0: Well, my mom was an adventurist. She was put into a boarding school at five because her mom was a businesswoman in New Orleans in the 40s and the 30s. And her dad was a rancher in New Mexico. So she basically had to raise herself with her sister. Mm-hmm. And she just learned never to be sad about anything. I just remember being in this coaching world. My dad was an NFL football coach. And the NFL stand for not for long, and we were always <laughs> moving. My dad sucked as a coach, and so we, uh, we would lose. And so that meant we got fired, and then we'd have to move. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting at the side of the house in New Orleans, Louisiana on bike drive, and I'm crying like a baby. I'm about eight or so, nine, getting ready to move to St. Louis, and I'm losing my friends. I'm just crying about losing my friends and uprooting. And my mom came around to the side of the house and found me, she goes, what are you doing here? I said, Mom, we're moving again. Dad." sucks as a coach. I won a Super Bowl championship. <laughs> uh, could he please at least stay somewhere long enough where I could enjoy life? And uh, I'm feeling sorry for myself. She says, New Orleans, these people don't like you anyway. You don't have any friends. <laughs> St. Louis has got a better team. And if you're old enough, you remember there was Jim Hart and Dan Deardorf and, and Terry Metcalf and Mel Gray. She said, We're going to win a lot more games in St. Louis than we we'll ever will in New Orleans. And she said, and we never feel sorry for ourselves. Get up, loser. And that was it. <laughs> no, seriously. That's my mother.
1: Yeah. My mom is exact opposite. Um, <laughs> she was, thank God, I really needed her in my life. But uh, my my favorite memory is just we were always around a piano. My mom is incredible. She's an incredible musician. She started playing piano by ear at four years old and has perfect pitch. And she taught us all growing up how to how to sing and so we just sang around the piano we sang in the car we sang everywhere we went we would do duets or quartets and um and it has carried me through a lot of life's tough seasons is her music and being able to worship through situations my mother was a
0: singer but we sang elvis dean martin (laughs) the commodores so Lori comes from as you can tell she comes from the supernatural world i come from the natural world
2: yeah, he, he learned how to fight, she learned how to worship is how we like to think yeah. of it. So we have two sides of it. Yeah. I was a bartender at five with my parents, yeah. so it's a whole different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which leads us into how, how do we Christian parents? It's not bartending, but we have some good things ahead. You know, having come from college football, so I've, I've been coaching football, high school, and college. You know, what, what separates a good team from a great team is the, the culture. How defined is your culture? And so whenever you think about parenting, whenever you think about managing a family, same way a lot of people in here would be managing an organization or a team, do you feel like it is just as necessary to define a culture for your family as an organization would?
0: Yeah, I think the scripture on that, in fact, we talked about it, so we have this scripture loaded. Proverbs 29 tells us, without a vision, the people perish. In other words, there's no glue. That word perish means they fall apart. There's no glue. There's nothing that connects them. I want to add that thought. Where there's no culture, the people, the family falls apart. There's no glue. Every football team, every organization must have a culture. So we plan for weddings, but we don't plan a culture in our home. And a culture is our identity. It's who we are. So it's great having the last name champion. We'd wake up, we are the champions, my friend. Every day we sing that. <laughs> and Yes, we overused it, but the reality is every football team, every sports team has a, has a uniform, has a logo, yeah. has a logo, and that logo is its identity, and it has a house, if you will. This is our house. This is our stadium. This is our place. This is how we do things, and we just have always tried to maintain in that culture that identity, and also there's a, a standard. There's a way of doing things. And that's how we're, we're going to roll in our marriage first, and then how we're going to do things as a family, and, and we do it together.
1: Yeah, culture takes care of a lot of situations. I mean, our culture as a family is very strong, as you know, and, and that started from having those conversations in the car. Like, we're the champion, so we're going to go visit these people at their house, and they're going to feel better that we were there. And this is how we're going to act when we get there. And we're going to say please, and we're going to say thank you, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and and all these things. And and now it's a family group text, you know, and it starts us off in the morning. Usually when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I see is somebody on the Eastern time zone is already talking to us. And um, it it could be silly memes. It could be something important or could be political. It could be a sports thing, whatever. But we protect our culture, we protect our standards. Um, I I remember the first time a girl came to visit Mason, which was a big deal for us, and this girl liked, you know, sort of liked him, and uh, he's here today, he knows what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. So she came, and within five minutes, the mama was like, oh no, she didn't, you know. I was like, we're not having this girl in our house, how am I gonna tell him that? And within a few hours of seeing him, seeing her interact with us, he came to me on his own and he's like, Mom, I am so sorry she's here. Like obviously she is not a fit in our family. And so um he was so scarred by the experience that it took him three years to ask Caroline to be his girlfriend, and he wouldn't do it until she came to our house and you know, within a within a day, he was like, She's she's us. And now Caroline is the culture protector, mama bear and of she the is. house. And she's always on her little brother's about, well, now she doesn't have to be with you because you're about to get married. and She approves of Reagan. Thank God. Um.
2: <laughs> that was a tough one. That actually, I was most worried about Caroline.
1: <laughs> yeah, but we protect, you know, we protect the culture because we have a vision that we are not going to just you know, be family, but we want to do family vacation together. We want to watch games together. We want to, you know, even with our kids being scattered, a lot of times we're watching a football game together and have them on FaceTime and it's like, pause your, you know, pause your TV three seconds. Let me catch up. Oh no, now you're two seconds ahead. Um, But we, we do life together even though we're, we're far apart.
2: Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And I, I, I think that it's not just the girlfriends that have to come in and, and abide by a certain standard. I also think that y'all have done a good job with, with friends and the friends that we've brought over to the house and making sure that they are people that match our culture or at least have the same values yeah. because, you know, there's so many different uh, perspectives in, in today's world. And so how do you think that, you know, parents here today can, can help not only judge the right girl but judging the right friends in their circle.
0: Well, I mean, the, it always comes out of standards. And, and those standards, for us, is a biblical standard. We have a worldview. That means we look through the lens of Scripture about everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, Pastor Joe, you're just over spirit. No. God created this world, and he created it with an order and with a government and with a way. Jesus said, I'm the way. Now, that is not just a road. That means I'm the way of doing things. How do I do yeah. things? Do it my way, and guess what? It'll go really good in your way. <laughs> in other words, we have always had that lens. And, and there are friends here that, that have taken trips with us. Mm-hmm. I see some of the legates and some of the other guys around. They have probably heard me in the car going, no, this is how we do things. This is the way we look. Mm-hmm. But all of that comes through as much as I love, and I came out of a wonderful, loving family. My mom and dad were beautiful people. At the same time, it wasn't a biblical lens when I become a Christian, everything has to be filtered through that. So that's your absolute standards. That's your absolute uh, truths. And so with that, it, it drives us. It drives our conversations. It drives what we think about, where we're going. And, and again, that's the same way that any football team or any sports or organization has to have. It's, it's got to have a certain way. So when you brought a friend in, and there'd be times they had a little potty mouth every now and then, or you'd come home with a potty mouth, you know. And I'm like, yay, let's talk about this after I
2: wash your mouth out with soap. Um, tabasco sauce, actually. A little? We're a yeah, South Louisiana go. family, so That's true. Tabasco. You did get the Tabasco. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it it got on my time. nose one time. Especially yeah, Mason,
1: yeah.
0: A little Tony Chachere, yeah. you know, yeah. right on top of your tongue. Oh, that's painful. Yeah, that's the point. It's yeah. supposed to feel.
1: Yeah, but... You know, I was looking in in the last service and Jake Jadlow, your best friend since you were five or six years old, was sitting on the front row. And those, you're not here just because of us. You're here because of the friends that are around you. And I heard a stat one time that um, the trajectory of your life depends on who who you hang out with at 12, 13 years old. The friends that you pick at a young age are going to probably determine your destiny. And so it's so important, like, you know, you and Jake, talk about how you yeah, set I think, goals and all that.
2: Yeah, I think that, again, that goes back to the, the church, not only being here and, and seeing things through a biblical lens, but, you know, we were put in a community from the start that we were raised by the community here. And, uh, yeah, like, I mean, you gave permission to our daycare teacher to, to spank us, and we got plenty of spanking. <laughs> Don't report us, but...
1: They won't spank your kids, yeah. just our kids.
2: No. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, somebody like Jake, who was here in this last service, Jake, Jake and I met at a birthday party whenever we were six years old for a bunch of church members, and, and we have set goals, and we've been spiritual accountability for our entire life, and I don't think that I would, you know, be here without my parents, but I don't think that I would have been here without Jake. Yeah. And so that only comes from being in the right community. But I've heard, you know, I heard you say just now, you know, seeing things through a biblical lens, right. and obviously that's so important, um, and, and it seems as though we're kind of missing the mark right. as a society. Actually, I, I found this stat um, in the Washington Times that said, in the, in the article's titled, Dear Christian Parents, You're Failing Miserably. They found 67% of parents of preteens today claim to be Christians, yet just 4% of these individuals hold what would be considered a biblical worldview. And here we have a stat, and you're just seeing the trajectory of our our country of where we are and how we believe in the Bible. How did we get here, and do you think that we can turn it around? Well, I think, yes, we are in a very difficult
0: situation. But I think we're here because a little bit further in our absolutes was, of course, we, we were centered in the house of God. There was no... Back in the day when I was in a little league, like many of you, Wednesday nights, you didn't have practice on Wednesday nights. Sundays, you didn't have practice, or you didn't have games on Sundays. Now, it's full on all the time. Of course, travel leagues. Now, everything is against you from being committed to the house of God, being in church, being in youth. And then, of course, we throw all of our money and all of our time into sports leagues and travel leagues. I'm all for it, guys. But most of the people are not good enough to play after you're 15. And so... Then we wonder, well, they don't go to church when they went to college. Well, they didn't go to church when they were in high school. You you were on the road all the time with a bad softball player. The point is, (laughs) what if they gained the whole world? Okay, go for it. But the truth is, it's very limited. It's very small. The church being planted, and that's not being like a potted plant. You are to be planted so that you can become a tree, not a plant. And, uh, and I would say the other way we got here. So I think, number one, in that way, it's without the biblical view, without the body of Christ being a priority and making everything else a priority. And I think, honestly, the third thing is that we have, have had not great examples when it's been preached or when it's been taught, and then it's not modeled. So you know what, I tell you what causes this controversy is when you're telling your sons or your daughters or when someone is telling someone the truth about what God says and then it doesn't match their lifestyle, doesn't match their mouth, and then we literally are undoing everything that has been communicated, and then I'm gonna tell you that's what creates people uh, when they get bitter and angry and they disconnect from the church, they disconnect from their parents, because honestly, they're like, we're tired of the hypocrisy, and, and that's where we've always tried to make sure we match what we say.
2: Well, I think going to the culture thing, <clears throat> like what we were talking about, it's the same as any organization. What happens whenever the leader doesn't model the culture sure. that he's yeah. talking about, it just kind of yeah. falls apart. Nobody really thinks that it's serious. But yeah. whenever you have a leader that leads yeah. by example. Or
0: or when we all fail, and it's not if, it's when, yeah. that leader goes to the mom or to the dad or to the kids and say, hey, I blew it, yeah. getting it right, yeah. keeping short accounts. Don't act like, well, you know, <laughs> you didn't see that. Yeah, yeah they saw it. <laughs> and they probably know a lot more than what you realize, yeah. and that's where it makes that makes mad kids. That makes bitter anybody. It makes bitter followers. I don't care yeah. if it's an organization or the home.
1: Yeah, um, I saw a Barna report that says if both parents are faithful in church throughout their kids' upbringing, ninety-three percent of those kids will remain faithful to the Christian faith as adults. In instances where neither parent regularly attended church, only six percent of kids remained faithful. As adults. So, what we're saying is, um, we don't have really a next generation problem. We have a discipleship problem. And discipleship begins in the home, it begins by walking the walk. Talk, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk, and also having a discipleship community. So, you might hear a lot about our WAVE conference, which is amazing. The presence of God is so strong, so many lives are changed. But every single big event we have, whether it's Radiant or WAVE or Youth Night, all lead into community, all lead into small groups that are so important. I know that um, we looked at our kids' curriculum about seven or eight years ago and go, you know, we're teaching. We're teaching biblical values, but we're not exactly teaching the Bible front to back. We want biblically literate kids, so we do a curriculum called The Gospel Project. Um, Our kids split into small groups as early as five years old, and they are learning the Bible cover to cover, and over the course of their life, they're going to— they're going to go through the Bible three and a half times and they're going to understand that the Bible is their source. Culture isn't their source. Their friends aren't their source. And I can tell you that peer pressure is only as strong as the family unit is weak. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important that as a family and as a church family that we are hitting on all cylinders with our kids.
0: When we started this church, yeah. (laughs) When we started this church, Mason was a almost nine, Connor was four, Jackson was 10 months old. And we had a, frankly, a big interest in our youth ministry, our children's ministry, and we still do. When we are watching and looking at these results of why kids are leaving the church in, in just masses, let me tell you why. Most youth ministries are what I call quarantine or torture rooms with pizza. And for four years, they have been sent to a quarantine with pizza, playing stupid games, and doing stupid little things, and honestly, there's no impartation of the word. There's no really serious discipleship. And I'm not saying they're, you know, supposed to be Harvard law students sitting in a room going, "What's the Bible say about that?" No, but we're talking about life-giving environments, so that when they come out, they're ready to go to battle. They're ready to go to war. They're, in other words, they're 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 not going to just go with the culture of their football team or their university or their sorority or their fraternity, they're not going to buckle. And then that was our point. We're not going to produce, I'm not just going to produce a church kid. Mm-hmm. Church kids get eaten every day in the culture. Church, and I mean church in this negative sense, like, oh, yeah, my parents told me that's my parent. Did. But they've never had their own experience. Mm-hmm. And we've wanted to make sure that they have their own faith, yeah. that they have their own walk with God, And that they have their own experience. Because it's not if you're going to be talked out of or even be tempted to walk away or deconstruct. And that's what's happening in the world today. And a lot of kids are deconstructing, but they're frankly deconstructing nothing that they never had. They've never known God. And I think we've got to make sure that we are real serious. And that's what I can say, and we can say after 22 years, by far we're not perfect. But in 22 years, you, Mason, and Jackson have never been in the newspaper for being a PK. <laughs> Thank
1: God.
2: Thank God, yeah. God
1: bless you. <laughs> Maybe
2: other people know something. For nothing public, yeah. Yeah, you better not.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: I think culture is definitely infiltrated. Um, even our, our education system, and so coming out of college and high school, I think a lot of parents are curious about What that looks like, because obviously we were raised, you honor your coach, you honor your authority, no matter what, the coach is always right. Um, But at the same time, how do I, how can we honor authority whenever they're coming against our truth of the word of God? Well,
0: watch this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and again, we talked a little bit about this in the last service, and we have it for you. It says, okay, God's speaking to the children of Israel, he's speaking to the parents, frankly, and he says, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord is what? He's our God. What is he saying? Israel. It all starts with this. God is our authority. God is in control. God is king. He is one. In other words, if we're not in right relationship to God as our final authority and absolute authority, you can forget your kids listening to the authority of a coach and being under the authority of a math teacher or a pastor. You ever had a kid? I had a kid not that long ago. I was saying, hey, I need you to move over here or we need you... the kid looked at me and goes, make me. How many ever tried to say that to your parent? Never. Make me. We are in a generation that's saying, make me. Or, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> and you know why that comes from? Let's look at that scripture a little bit deeper. He goes, number one, let's get this right. God is the God of Israel. There's one God. There's no controversy. I like what Paul says in Timothy. He goes, the mystery of godliness it's truly a mystery, he goes, but it's without controversy. Like, we we don't debate this. And then he says, hear, O Israel, listen to what God has to say. So it starts with the ear. And then he goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then he says, and you shall, these words that I'm giving you today, shall be in your heart, not in your head. This is not just by rote, but this is an experience. And then you're going to talk to your kids, watch this, and your sons and your daughters, when you sit in your house, Sitting down, watching TV, hey, let's talk about that commercial. Mm-hmm. And I would pause and say, let's talk about that commercial. Let me tell you why that's not our view. Or when that news account comes on. Let me just give you our angle, what we feel about that news report right there. There's a, there's a biasness in that, in that right there that is being said. So when you're sitting down in your house, when you're walking by the way, you know what that means? When you're driving down I-35 and here comes a Hooter billboard. And I'm going to say, hey, guys, let me just tell you, I'm going to ask you to not be a drawn to that, or Twin Peaks, and you're like, well, Pastor Joe, you know all those kind of places. Anyway, uh, <laughs> preparing the next generation. The truth is we would see things along the way, driving along the way, and say, let me, give you, let, me, let me just tell you about how that works in the real world of God. Let me tell you how this works. And then, of course, he goes on to say, and when you lie down, that's at night. Mm-hmm. Hey, when you go into bed, let's talk about what, what's God saying to you. What's God doing in your life? Let's talk about what Scripture is alive to you. See, th- this is this is not a program. Right. This is our life. Yeah. Some of you might have, your life revolves maybe around, and I was talking to you about this, there's some parents that, and we get it, we're LSU culture, right? I tried to get one of the Leggett boys to go there, but anyway, the, the truth is we're LSU culture, and you know what that means? We went to the games, we dressed you up. Yeah. We did all of that, we did all this, and that, that is what puts... And in that same application, it's the same thing with God. Yeah. It's what you invest mm-hmm.
1: in. Yeah, and I think you were asking about, you know, if the teacher's always right, but then all of a sudden you hear something that yeah. conflicts against your yeah. faith, is that we have put in them a reservoir of yeah. what their belief should be, what the Bible says, that the Bible is the authority on yeah. sexuality, gender, um, sanctity of life, all of those things that are so important that you know. So, Jackson, when he was at, like in seventh grade, um, a teacher was talking about if, you know, if, if there's really a God, then why do bad things happen and all that. So, Jackson piped up and gave his answer and based on the Bible. And the teacher had Jackson repeat it and have the whole class laugh at him.
0: Had him stand up
1: and laugh. At him. And so, we stood respectfully, but we stood and, you know, went to the principal, had a meeting with the teacher. Now, we raised our kids in public school. Um, Now there's a curriculum. There are curriculums being proposed to be taught that are directly opposite of our biblical worldview. So we probably wouldn't put our kids in public school unless we had a ton of time to unwrap that and so you're going to have to be super intentional about what you learn. You're going to be super involved with your school system. Run for school board. Because I can tell you we have incredible teachers, incredible godly superintendents. administrators, superintendents that they don't want to teach this either. And so we need to pray for our teachers and pray that they use that as a mission field. because. You know, we're having conversations with teachers like, how do I navigate this in my own classrooms? But as Christians, when we have our kids in those places, we've got to be willing to speak to those things and speak to those things in the home and um, make sure that everybody's armed. You know, when I was in the eighth
0: grade, I didn't make the basketball team. And my dad came to pick me up, and I'm crying. And he said, What's wrong? I said, I didn't make the team. And he says, Well, what are you crying about? I said, I didn't make the team. He goes, That's nothing to cry about. You should be crying because you suck and you didn't practice.
2: Now I didn't make the eighth grade team either, so it got passed down. <laughs> I also was crying in the bathroom. And I
0: And Dad says, You didn't practice. You didn't shoot free throws. You didn't work on your dribbling. I told you to. But you sat in there, ate Twinkies and your ding-dongs, and now you're crying about what? Well, that coach. He said, that coach has my respect because you shouldn't be on the team. <laughs> Life doesn't work that way. Right. Life is not fair. Yeah. But I really do believe what my dad was putting in my spirit that day was, I make, in fact, my mom and dad, were, we were leaving to go to a football game. Dad was coach for the Falcons, Mm -hmm. and Dad and I are going early for the game, and I'm a ball boy on the sidelines. This is in the grits blitz years of the late 70s, and my mom and dad are saying goodbye. Mom, Dad says, you didn't wish me luck. Wish me luck. She goes, you make your own blank luck. And so the truth is, (laughs) in Christ, you know the Bible says the sin or the soul that sin dies. Not the previous generation. No one else is in charge of your life but you. And you go as far as you want to go. You go as high as you want to go. And if you're going to blame your employee, blame the government. See, when you came into Christ, our source of strength was no longer anything of this world. It's over. And so for people to say, I was this or that, I wasn't getting this, I wasn't getting that. Guess what What you're saying is, I'm giving my destiny to other people. God says, greater is he who's in you. You go where you want to go because if it's me, I will open those doors for you. But you got to apply. you got to be skilled. So it, 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 I think that's why everybody needs to be on a sports team. I really do. Everybody needs to be on some kind of team, not necessarily sports. It could be whatever your team or your sport or your hobby. But you got to learn how to take orders. You gotta learn how to be told to sit down. You gotta be told you're not really good and you need to go home and practice. Oh, I can't believe he said that to me. My baby is really good. No, he's
1: not.
2: He's not. <laughs> okay. It's genetics. I got bad genetics too. So if you're in this room and you're not making it, blame your parents. I'm thinking about that coach. He was, I like that. Yeah, I, yeah I wanna, thank you.
1: I wanna say, um, uh, back to that Deuteronomy Scripture verse about along the way. You know, some of the most beautiful times with our kids were putting them to bed and, you know, long long after the tuck you in at night. You know, teenagers, you can have those conversations with them at night. I think it's so important to bring back the dinner table I mean, we try to eat dinner together as a family as much as we possibly can. I know it gets crazy, but those times that you create margin. But go into your teenager's room at night, and all of a sudden they'll start they'll start saying things. Like if your daughter says, Dad, you know, do you think I'm pretty? Don't be tone deaf in that moment and say, oh, you're just trying to fish in for compliments. You know, or if a boy says... You know, I don't know if people like me at school. Be sensitive to those little windows of opportunity that are so precious that you can speak life into. It's so important that we have that face-to-face connection. And that takes care of so many things. But we have to make sure that we're not saying, oh, you're just stalling you don't want to go to bed, so now you're getting all chatty. Yeah. No, let them get chatty yeah. <laughs> at night. And that's those times that you really pour into them and, and make sure that in the end that you're, you're friends. That's the goal of parenting.
2: What'd you say to me whenever I asked if I was good at basketball and they'd great? what did I say? Yeah. I said you probably you suck. Are, uh, okay. <laughs> Stop fishing for compliments. But you have a good heart. Yeah. Uh,
0: you have a heart for basketball. You just don't have a jump shot for basketball, (laughs) and neither did I. Uh, One of the things that I will say, and I want to, I'm highlighting this because my parents, even though we were not biblical, Mm -hmm. even though we were not prayerful, we 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 were not a spiritual family, but my parents, and this is the difference between now and my parents' generation. They were born in the 20s, 1930. They had common sense. A lot of my friends that are sitting out there that might live in the Sun City area, I'm not saying that you do. I'm just saying, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, this is common sense. Well, that's the problem. We don't have common sense anymore. It's not very common. But my parents were amazing, and I'm sure yours as well. We've talked about it. My parents were in and aware of my life. They were aware of my grades they aware of what was in my room I tried to lock my door my dad says you never lock this door <laughs> I never had a TV in my room neither did y'all you know why because if we're watching TV we're watching it together we, we don't do caves nobody nobody goes out into their own little world and then we're going to gather back at some point during the week that's not how we do it. the champions are a team we have team meetings we do life together we play together we cry together but my parents were very, like yours, very sensitive to where I was. And, and, of course, sometimes they'd speak very directly to it. And other times they were encouraging to it. But my parents were never disconnected. I think what makes a child matter and, and more angry about anything yeah. is that they feel alienated and separated and distanced from their parents. And we have these things called cell phones. I had it in the last service. I'm going to tell you something. I don't think there's a more evil scheme. That has taken the heart of people. Then we have, we've honestly, we think we're connected. You're not connected on social, you're disconnected. How many have seen it in your own teenagers? I remember seeing it. You guys would be in the bed or uh, in the den or in your room and everybody's on their own little social. I said, What are y'all doing? We're talking to each other. <laughs> really? God. Sixteen-year-old girl, look at that in the news. She was a very well-known kind of a social media girl and pageant girl. She killed herself, what, yesterday or two days ago? Because she felt alone. Because you know what? You're looking at that world. I know people who I can watch their photos. I can see their Instagrams. And you swear you think they are. Your life is terrible compared to them. And they're going through a divorce. I know people. They're going through a divorce. But yet, if you look at their Instagram and their socials, it's like, my God, look at their life. We're losers, and all they are is in front of a green screen, guys, with a filter over their face. And so we need to see the real world. And I, I just think that's where we are, Connor, in, in a lot of ways.
2: And I, I know there's, there's, we've seen a lot of stats, and there's a lot, you know, even to be said about this technology thing, like that's not going away anytime no. soon. But do you think that there's hope for what's to come?
0: Yeah. Well, obviously, we serve the God of hope. And uh, the God that we serve is the God who says, I have given you the victory. Mm -hmm. Be of good cheer. I have, what, overcome the world. If he's overcome the world, then you can overcome the world, and that means your family can overcome the world. And we can have, uh, before we close, we can have a Daniel... We can have a Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego yep. in a Babylonian yeah. world yeah. that ruled yeah. and reigned. Yeah. And they all eventually bowed down to Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach saying, Your God is the God of Israel. Your God is the God of the world. And it's going to take, though, like Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, some, mm-hmm. some wisdom. It's going to take knowledge. It's going to take intentionality. And, and before we close, I want to say, you know what you haven't heard a whole lot about? Prayer. But let me tell you something. I think a lot of people, when they should be behaving, are praying. And they're praying, and rightfully so, we should be praying. But there's a great story in the book of Joshua, chapter 7. Joshua's praying because they had just had a bad family defeat. And he's praying, he's crying out to God. They got beat by AI, smallest team on the planet. And... As he's on the ground praying, God says, what are you doing praying? Get up. You know what you're supposed to be doing. See, a lot of our prayers are, if we're not careful, it's our easy way out. It's an excuse. When God says, you know what you need to be doing as a mom, as a dad. You, you need to make that phone call. You need to say, I'm sorry. And don't minimize prayer. But I also think that a lot of times we're praying and God says, I need some action. Because we just drop the religious. We just yeah. drop these, what we call Christianese terms. And they're like, well, your prayer life is obviously not working because you just yelled at me for 30 minutes with, your, with this and that. You and dad can't get along or whatever that is. And so we've got to make sure that our kids see the real world. Mm-hmm. Now, do we pray? Do we fast? We did a lot of that for you, for Mason especially. And... Uh, <laughs> We didn't have to with Jackson.
1: Angel. He was an angel. an angel. child.
0: He's a baby. He's the baby. I want to close. Um, in fact, let me talk to him. You guys just get, get out, out of here. Yep. Come on, give it up for them. Thank you. Here, take that. All right, so Connor asked about the hope. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, now watch this. Let's just bring it down to this. In the book of Matthew, Jesus makes this statement, and the context is the end times. The day of the hour, or that day, that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels. So when you see a preacher, if you ever see a preacher, put a time and a date on the return of the Lord in a book. Close it. He's off. Because not even the angels know. Not even these supernatural staffers know what's going on in that boardroom. He says not even the sun knows. But it's the father's business. But then watch the next wording. He goes, but, as it relates to the end times, verse 37, the coming of the Son of Man, though, will be like this. It's going to be like Noah. In the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage, marrying and giving in marriage, until that day Noah entered the ark. Let's finish the thought. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he says, be ready. He says, two will be in the field, and one will be taken. Two will be in the house, and one will be taken. Here's the context. Here's the good news. We're in the days of Noah. Eating and drinking is not sinful. Can I get a witness, somebody? You're about to do a lot of it today. (laughs) Getting married is not sinful. Connor's going to be married in a couple of days. We all believe in marriage because God's the God of marriage. What he is saying is, they're drunk on this world. And it's not drinking, it's, it's, and it's not eating, it's that they are consumed with themselves. They're not looking for the return of the Lord. They're not at all expecting life to come to an end. They're living with an, e- well, it's not an eternal view, they're just living with the thought that I've got time. And Moses, not Moses, Noah, building the ark for the hundreds of years, when he was nailing those woods and putting together this boat, and obviously he had to cut the trees and make the lumber, you know what was being preached? Guys, get ready. Now, here's what the Bible tells us. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 and verse 17, by faith Noah was warned by God that it's coming. Something that has never seen, been seen before, it's coming down. It's going to happen. So in reverence, he furnished, he built, literally he made. And there's all sorts of Hebrew context words to that, but it's like literally, it's like what you're supposed to do with your family. He brought together a testimony in that boat, a culture. What is in this boat will be saved. What is not in this boat will be condemned. It's a culture. It's a kingdom. He literally was giving us a type and a picture of the kingdom of God. It's a type of the picture of the church. It's a type of the picture of God in our lives. Now watch this. So he builds this ark for the salvation of who? His what? Does it say for the world? No. Noah had one responsibility. You have one responsibility. It's your family. You lose your family, what have you lost? Everything. Can you imagine being in heaven without your family? Some of you are like, please. Please. That's my prayer. But for the ones that you love, (laughs) the reality is Noah didn't want to lose one, and he built, he put together a culture, a life. And the Bible says his home was saved And he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Now, that word there, condemnation, is not just, well, it is. He was showing, I told you guys, this was real. I told you Christ was coming back. But it was also, he cut the world off from his home. In other words, there was a line of separation. Are we legalists? By no means. But what is the good news in the story that I just gave you? As bad as the world was in the day of Noah, like Jesus said, it's going to be that way again. But there was a godly family that made it. They didn't die. They didn't go under. They weren't judged. They stayed together. So when Connor asks, is there hope? God says, yeah. There's a family that Noah had. Did they have their issues? Yep. What happened after the boat arrived? The funniest thing in all the Bible to me is when, after they go through this whole journey hundreds and hundreds of years of building the ark, Noah, the Bible says, gets off the boat after the flood. And what's the first thing he does? He plants a vineyard. You know what that means? He went to 7 Eleven and got a bottle of Yellowtail and he says, Man, I got to have some. (laughs) Some of you Yellowtailers, you know what I'm talking about. It's box wine right there. That's what it means. Box wine. And he just needed something. And he was refreshing himself and he was just chilling, of course. He needed a little something to take the edge off. He saved the whole family. And then what does the Bible tell us? One walks in and sees his dead. That's not the dad I was expecting. I thought he was a man of God. I thought you were a man of righteousness. I thought you were the man that I was going to be following. And you're a failure. You're a failure, Dad. Or let's just put it in the context of all of us. You've failed, Mom. You've failed, parents. And so he went out and he told his brothers. And the other two brothers said, Hey, listen, you wouldn't even be able to judge Dad if it wasn't for his building our family and keeping us together. And giving us a pattern, giving us a home, giving us an ark and a flood. And instead of exposing Noah's faults and his failures, the Bible says they take a garment, and lay it on the back of their backs, and they walk in backwards and they cover their dad. And the Bible says those two boys are blessed that covered or gave grace to a dad or a mom that has failed but the one that exposed was judged. That is a big point, guys. Because the reality is, if God couldn't keep heaven together, how do we think we're going to keep our homes together? Satan and a third of the angels had to be thrust out of heaven. And then here we are trying to keep our families together. And we are not God. And if God couldn't do it, God, how can we do it in a sinful world with sinful hearts, the depravity of man? Grace. Grace. I'm going to be a good forgiver. I'm not going to be a man of judgment or a man of bitterness when it comes to my dad or my mom or my family or my sons or your dad or your mom or your parent, Whoever that might be. Let me just tell you something. Make up your mind. That as it was in the days of Noah, the reason why they were all saved was that there was a home. And number two, there had to be grace. How many want to be more gracious and kind? As we leave here today, I know some of you all got in the car and you probably fought all the way here today. But that's not what's going to keep us together. Finding fault and finding reasons why. Let's all get our eyes on Jesus. And let's determine that as for me, I'm going to be a better dad, a better mom. But guess what? It's not my power. It's God's power. But nevertheless, I live. I'm not dead. I am alive and I've got to respond to the sovereignty of God. The call of God. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor Joe, I need help. And I have a burden for my home. We're going to pray for you. Number two, some of you, you don't have faith. Noah had to have faith. Noah had to have the fear of God. The Bible says he had the ear of God. He had the voice of God in his life. He was by faith moving, in reverence. He heard God. And listen, parents, all of us. But I'm really talking to the moms and the dads here today as well. you got to hear for your home. you got to hear the word of God. And let's just bring it down practically. I am a father of these three boys. But I'm also a father of a church of about 17,000, 18,000 people. And how many would you expect if you're going to come here to this table? How many want a meal that has come from God? You want to be in an atmosphere that God is dwelling. And that's what we want for our homes. You want your kids to come home because there's God there. How many want God to just fill your home in a fresh way? Can we all stand to our feet all over this place? Moms, listen. Glory is the reason why anything good is happening at Celebration Church. I just do what I'm told. I'm just telling you right now. It's the hand of moms that make a difference. Yes, I'm a strong dad. I tell my boys... You got the short end of the stick. You got two alpha parents. How many would agree that you got two alpha parents? Like in other words, they're both strong. Guess what? You're raising leaders. My last thought is this. Some of you are not saved. If Christ came back today, he's not in your heart. He's not in your life. He's not in your view. And the Bible says it. They didn't realize it until the day Noah went in the ark. And the Bible says it's going to happen like that. If you're not ready, guys, you're not going to have time. That's what the Bible says. You're not going to have time. You're not going to say, well, I'm on my way to the judgment throne. I'm going to ask the Lord to give me grace. It doesn't work that way. It's going to happen like that. And so I want to pray for anybody as well that might say today, I want today on this Mother's Day to be the day that I gave my life to Christ. Or I got right with God. But first, let's pray for our families and for those that today want to Get in the ark, the kingdom of God. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. In fact, can can you pray this prayer with me out loud? Lord Jesus, I want the blessing of God upon my home. And as Noah saw his whole household saved, I want my house, my whole household to be saved. Anyone in my environment, in my reach, I pray, God, draw them by your mercy and by your grace. I need help, Lord. I need wisdom. I need guidance. I need your voice to lead me, to guide me. My heart and my ears are open. And for those that are here today, that you say, Pastor Joe, I'm not ready. In fact, if I were to die today, my life is not right with God. Listen, it's not one and done. The Bible says every day walk with Christ. And if you're leaning on that one time that you pray to that one day in that one church in that one Sunday morning, and that's what you think is salvation, you're fooled. It's a relationship. It's not a wedding day. It's a marriage. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Joe, I don't want to miss this moment. I do believe right now. i got to get right with God. I, I want Jesus. And I want him to know that I mean business with him today. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? You can put it up, put it down. You can put it up, put it down. Come on, all over this place. Nothing better than a mom to hear that her son or her daughter gave their life to Christ. Can we pray this prayer out loud for those that are praying this prayer today? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to this world to die for a sinner. Me. I confess, I need a savior. I'm lost without you, but you're the shepherd, the shepherd of my soul. You gave your life as a sacrifice, as a ransom. You shed your blood so I could be forgiven. You purchased my life from darkness, from sin, from hell, from hopelessness. Now I open up my mouth and I declare you're my Jesus. You're my God and my Lord, and I belong to you. From this moment on, and for all eternity, and all of God's people said. Come on, give the Lord a clap of praise today. Christian, why don't you come? Moms, we celebrate you today. Thank God for you. And guess what? Have faith that the work that God is starting, he's gonna complete it, and all your babies are gonna come home In the name of Jesus. Come on, Christian, tell them what we need to do.